the bastards are back for this Tuesday edition of the podcast. We are a part of the Minute Media Podcast Network. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Charlie Smith coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our podcast can be found at Bastards underscore Boston for the Bastards of Boston baseball podcast. Joining me tonight, we have Jason Kelly coming to us from Canton, Massachusetts by way of Westwood, Massachusetts, not too far. Jason, how are you and where can the fans find you on Twitter? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited to get into some of these takes. Some of them are pretty interesting. So our fans always tend to come through for us. Um, if you want to harass me on Twitter, you can find me at Color of the Iris. And I'll be probably tweeting about how the Red Sox season is doomed and fire high and bloom and all that stuff. So feel free to engage with me on there. Yeah, I know you've been getting quite a bit of uh, quite a bit recently. That's Color, C-O-L-O-U-R, the Brit way, not the American way. Uh, for those that are curious and also joining us tonight, the one and only Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Windham, Maine. Terry, how are you? What is your beverage this evening? And where can the fans find you on Twitter? I can be found at Cushman MLB, and I'm drinking one of these sparkling ice things, the grape raspberry. Uh, sugar-free and salt-free if you've never had one and it's got um 135 something milligrams of antioxidants which is important when you're a fan of the boston red sox you need to anti-oxidize your body i don't know if i'm even saying that right but yeah just uh, pissing off the the bluminati one day at a time so there you go doing god i was a sure yeah, you are, and and we appreciate you for it. I, I couldn't tell if that was alcohol or not. That's why I was no. curious because sometimes you got fun beverages, some teas, some hard ciders, some all sorts of stuff. Yeah, no, just uh, going chem free tonight, I guess. Right on, excellent. Well, uh, I think for this order, we'll go Jason first with his first take. Terry will have you go second, and then uh, I'll wrap it up. Uh, so, Jason, whenever you're ready. Sure. So our first hot take comes in from at Julius Caesus. Um, and he says the Red Sox front office is wanting to underperform to lower contract negotiations with Devers and bogey, and it's not going to work. So there's a couple of things to unpack with that, with that take. First of all, I don't think that any front office wants to underperform. Certainly not here in Boston. Um, it's also kind of not how contract negotiations work because if you've got guys like Devers and Bogarts who I presume ownership management wants to stay underperforming doesn't convince them more to stay and it doesn't, it doesn't lower their price. So if the Red Sox finish in last place, it's not like Devers is going to ask for 30 million a year, as opposed to if they finish in first place and they go to the world series, he's going to ask for 35. Um, so I, I just, I don't think that's how that really works. I think it's based on just the player's individual performance and how 
they do throughout the season and how they value themselves. I think Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts have their values in mind. They have their prices in mind and how the Red Sox perform doesn't dictate that one way or the other. So I, I'm going to call false on that take. I, I don't think that that's what the Red Sox are aiming to do. Um, and if they are, then that's a horrible, horrible uh, negotiating tactic to take. So I just don't think that's happening. Yeah, I think that kind of falls in the conspiracy theory category, which I love. I mean, we all know I love a good one, whether it's baseball or government related for that matter. But um, I don't I think the players performances themselves will dictate what their value is. And Xander has definitely hurt his value this year. I, I don't think I don't think there needs to be this grand scheme on the part of Bloom to drive Xander's value down. I think he's doing that himself. And Rafi Devers has kind of tailed off. I mean, arguably having one of the worst second halves of his career. But having said that, I don't think that drastically changes his value that much. I think for him, it's more of a product of the team underperforming around him and you can only carry this team on your back for so long anyway. So I don't think any of it is uh bloom related. And I, I think the pressure is going to be more on him than it is either one of these players this winter. Yeah, just a little combination of, of what you're saying. And Terry, you, you, you hit the nail on the head with that bit that I was going to talk about real quick. This is not a one-player sport. You can't be the only player on your team carrying carrying 25, 26, 27 men. It, it's not going to work. This is not tennis. This is not golf. You cannot live on that. And you're watching firsthand what happens with uh, players that have lost value. Xander Bogarts is one that we had all discussed briefly on the last episode uh the last show his power numbers have dipped in half half you can't live on that devers is is still trying to recover but he's at a very very slow last month of august hitting under 200 the pop is gone and you're seeing it takes more than two or three people if mike trout can't carry a team no one can and that was for the longest time uh considered largely to be the best player in all of baseball. So I want to err on the side of caution as far as conspiracies go. Uh, Cause I know that <laughs> off, off record, Derry and I have, have shared some, some interesting opinions on a couple of them. So it's an interesting take. Uh, anything that uh, either one of you gentlemen wanted to add uh, to that one? No, no, that's pretty no. much all I got. Yeah. Cool. All right, Terry, what was your first one that you want to talk about? Well, I just want to say I don't think Oswald was the only gunman. But uh, what was that, Charlie? No, no. Uh, first off, you're not alone. Second off, uh, I think it's your turn in the circle to go. Oh, my turn. Absolutely. So my hot take comes from Dabin Reese. And... Uh, Dabin is a guy, just for the record. Um, had to check that. Couldn't see the um, 
profile picture. But he says, Sale should be a long reliever next year, even if he's healthy. And he says in parentheses, long shot. You can't possibly depend on him to start because he basically hasn't pitched in several years. No way he can go anywhere near 200 innings. And uh, I would also add nowhere near 150 innings if it were me. But I think Dabin uh, is on to something here. If you look at that game where Sale got hit by that comebacker and it, you know, it broke his pinky finger there, he was well on his way to getting shelled. He had already given up two runs in two-thirds of an inning, and he was going to get slapped around that game. This is the same Chris Sale that basically struggled since the second half of 2018 when he coughed up the Cy Young Award to Corey Kluber late that season. Hasn't been the same player, and I absolutely think he should be pitching out of the bullpen now, some critics of that would say, well, you know, he's making almost $30 million a year. You can't, you can't just pay him that much to pitch out of the bullpen. Well, the Dodgers are doing that right now with a guy named David Price. And granted, we're paying for half of it, but he's still a $32 million a year player pitching out of a bullpen. And you just got to cut your losses. How... How many times do you want to watch Chris Sale get shelled on the mound or get his pitch count up to 80 pitches by the fourth inning and just set him on this unsustainable pace to still have a bad season? I think Chris Sale absolutely should be pitching out of the bullpen. And by doing that, you could at least get some level of value out of him and possibly have him pitch a full season, albeit in a in a different role. So I I think Dabin's right on the money. So I disagree because if the Boston Red Sox had the same starting pitching depth as the Los Angeles Dodgers, then I would agree. Sure. Make him your next make him your David Price. Put him in the bullpen. Let him be a long reliever because he's proven that he can't stay healthy. I do agree with the premise that I, I don't trust Chris Sale to throw 200 innings. I agree with you, Terry. I don't trust him to pitch 150 innings. I think if he clears 100, quite frankly, it's kind of a miracle at this point. But the Red Sox starting pitching depth is, quite frankly, garbage. It's complete garbage. You don't have anyone coming up. Your best pitching prospect is already here. In Brian Bayo. And frankly, we don't know if he's going to be a full-time major league starter. He's been knocked around at times. He's looked decent at times, but he hasn't been a phenom coming up. He hasn't been, you know, putting together big time performances that make you think that this guy's a mainstay for your rotation. And beyond him, you really don't have anyone else. Josh Winkowski stinks. Carter Crawford is average. You know, maybe a little bit above average at times, and you have no one else. So you're stuck with sale because of the contract you decide to give him. So I think at this point, you know, the, the injuries have been frustrating. The missed time has been extremely frustrating, but you have to get as much out of Chris Sale as you possibly can. 
and not to just not to justify the contract because at this point, like I'm beyond justifying contracts because the Red Sox give out so many bad ones. It's ridiculous. I'm more talking about you have to get as much out of him because you have no one else coming up. You don't have many other options. Your only other option is to spend more money on the free agent market and go get another starter to fill his spot and to take his innings. So I think at this point, you've got to get as much out of him as you can. Could I see him eventually becoming a long reliever because he just doesn't have what it takes to be a starter anymore? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. But I think for the Red Sox, at least for next year and going forward, you have to put him in the rotation and just hope to God that he stays healthy, gets a little bit of his form back, and gives you solid performances as a starter. You have to at least try. Yep. How can you not? This is someone who really hasn't done anything for the past couple of years. Granted, freak injuries are a part of the game. It's ugly when it happens to players that just came back. You know, coincidentally, if you threw 25 pitches and that was it for the year, not a fun feeling. I don't like the idea of pulling players out of what they were originally supposed to do just because, oh, you know, this isn't a fatigue injury. This is a physical injury. Having Chris Sale as your long reliever, as opposed to being in the starting rotation, I think would send a bad message to the fans and to players on the team. If you start to struggle in your role, then we're going to find something else for you to do. And regardless of how much money you're making, we don't care if you're making $30 million a year. You know, uh, price was, I think, $32 million. We were paying 16 and the Dodgers were paying the other 16 We literally paid $16 million a year for the last couple of years to not have David Price pitch in Boston. I will not be happy if I see Chris Sale in the bullpen next year. I want him in that rotation. I want him giving you 150 innings. 200 innings, probably not. In fact, I think that's a long shot. 150, he better. Because I have been wholeheartedly behind Chris Sale since the beginning. Only real jersey that I've got as far as Red Sox players are concerned. I don't regret it. I think it was worth it. I love Chris Sale, but man, oh man, if there's a time to shine and come through to really earn that contract, that would be the year. This is someone who has said on multiple occasions, I hate not being healthy for my teammates. I've made a lot of money and I haven't been able to do it. Technically, there's a way that you can fix that. You can opt out and then we don't pay you all that money and then you resign. Like, I mean, playing, you know, that, that, that advocate, but are you really going to turn down that kind of money? No, there's no one else in major league baseball. that's going to offer you the, the money that the Red Sox are going to do. But if you really don't love feeling the way that you do, there's a simple solution for that. It'd be awesome to be able to pay you 12 million over the next, you know, 12 million this year, 50 million next year. And we save some money and we put that money towards another starting pitcher. Maybe we can go out and get somebody else that's going to be on the market and build up this rotation so that we're relevant. I'd, I'd like to be relevant. We don't have to be great, but I want to be relevant. This year, we were not. And anybody who says otherwise, I'm sorry, but you're not paying attention. So Chris Sale, 
as a long reliever to to close it up, wrap it up. I can't see that happening. I really hope that doesn't happen. I need him to be a starter. I need to see him go back to his old old form. Real quick, yeah. I guess part of my logic behind my take a few minutes ago is that Chris Sale staying healthy for a full season and Chris Sale pitching effectively for a full season are two separate gigantic mountains that are just tough. It's a tough sell that he'll climb them both. So that that's part of the reason why I want him uh, in the pen, just to salvage some kind of value there. Uh, real quick, though. He's not going to opt out, but he does have a no-trade clause, Chris Sale. Would he be against being traded at this point? Because a year ago, I'd say no way. You know, he wanted to, he signed with Boston for a reason. He has ties to the area. Now I'm thinking maybe he wouldn't mind a change in scenery. Like he's seen the insanity of our fan base and he's not on social media, but I think he knows the, the fan base is starting to turn against him. So maybe a fresh start knowing he's only going to be in that next city for a couple of years might not sound like a bad thing to him. And here's just one scenario here. What if what if you call up the Phillies? What if you call up your old pal Dave Dombrowski and say, listen, we'll take one of your bad contracts. Do you want to get out of um, Nick Castellanos or do you want to get out of perhaps Kyle Schwarber and we'll give you the sale contract, swap them? He's going to get out a little better because Chris Sale is a little bit shorter term than than what those two other players are. So I'm just wondering if maybe something creative happens. I it it may not shock me. I I don't think he'll be traded at this point. Um, although if there were a team that was going to trade for him, the Phillies would be the number one candidate for sure. Um, maybe if you, you know, maybe Miami, if they needed a back end starter, if they felt like they were close, he's a Florida native, went to Florida Gulf coast, all that stuff, you know, not exactly close to Miami, but in the same ballpark, maybe if, uh, maybe if that's a team that they feel like they just need a little bit of pitching help and they're on the cusp, maybe they look into him. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable down South where he's from and, I think kind of more lines up with who he is, but I, no, I, th- I think at this point, I, I don't see him being traded. I think the Red Sox are just going to ride this out. Well, he, he would have to, um, you know, waive the no trade, but well, just a thought. Yeah. So uh, this looks like it's going to be me now. So for my first hot take, this is coming from Robert Porter at, F4 crew chief. Um, fire Heim Bloom at season's end, if not sooner. Get someone in place who will actually put together a winning team. Core can go too. Can't forget his cheating in Houston. So, Heim Bloom isn't going anywhere. I don't think Alex Core is either uh, before the end of 2022. 
I do think, however, that by the end of 2023, going into 2024, though, both will be gone. Because if Hyam Bloom does not win a World Series next year, he's out. And I think that Alex Cora will probably be out possibly unceremoniously before the season's end. But 2023, I'm pretty sure you'll still see Hyam Bloom there. We've yet to see him, quote, get his man. The Alex Cora edition was not really his decision. So I think they're going to give him an opportunity to get one guy in here. And that's going to be that. But uh, I'll be the first one to say it. Alex Cora coming back to Boston was not something that I originally wanted. I think we were mixed on the pod. I think I, I said no. Terry, I think you said no. Jason, I think you said no, if I'm not mistaken. All three of us were against it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a fresh slate, a turning of the page, not at the end of this year, but end of 2023. I think we're probably going to see a minimum of one of those two gone. Uh, Jason? I think this comes down to who does ownership like more? Does ownership like Alex Cora more, or do they like Hyam Bloom more? Keep in mind, they brought both guys in. Alex Cora was suspended for a whole year for cheating, and ownership basically kept his seat warm. Let's face it, the Ron Renneke year was a joke. That was just, let's get someone in here to keep the seat warm, until Alex can come back. Um, but then, you know, along those same lines, they get rid of Dave Dombrowski. They bring in Hyam Bloom. That was the guy that they chose. So it does depend on who does ownership believe in more? Who do they like more? Um, I think right now they like Alex Cora more because I think they're frustrated with Bloom. I think they're looking at the lack of success. They're looking at, some questionable moves on his part. I think Hyam Bloom is going to be on a hot seat next year. I think Alex Cora's seat will be warm, but not necessarily hot, unless the Red Sox completely crater in 2023 to start off, right? Like, at least this year, the first half, they were sort of in it. They were hanging around, and then they just trade deadline plummeted, right? If they start off next year really bad, and they're approaching July and they're in last place and they're just not getting it done. And who knows by then maybe Xander Bogart's on a different team because who knows what's going to happen this off season. Um, if Rafael Devers still doesn't have a contract extension, both could be gone. Absolutely. Because I look at Alex Cora and I, I think, why would he stay? If I am bloom is going to, you know, just, not keep anybody, not give Devers an extension, not bring in, you know, a, a legitimate bullpen and not spend money in the way that the Red Sox can. If he's really going to turn this into Tampa Bay North, why would Alex Cora want to manage that? When let's face it, this offseason, there's probably going to be a bunch of jobs that will open up, you know, and next season, next offseason after that, there'll be even more jobs that will open up. And Alex Cora has spoken before that, he doesn't want to manage for a long time. He doesn't want to be a Tony La Russa managing into his 60s, 70s. You know, he wants to do it for a little bit and then spend time with his family. So why would he waste more time here in Boston with a GM who's not going to put a winning team in front of him? And for lack of a better term, he's not going to buy the groceries so that he can cook the dinner. 
So in terms of what happens after this year, I agree with Charlie. Neither of them are getting fired. They're both going to come back. But after 2023, if I had to pick, I would say Bloom is more going to be on the hot seat and could be the one that gets fired rather than Alex Cora. I, I think ownership likes Alex Cora and they would rather do what they can to keep him than do what they can to keep high and bloom. It's a fascinating question. I really don't know which one has the edge with ownership because don't forget 2019 was a disappointment too. We were the defending champs. We missed the playoffs and the, we all we did go to the ALCS last year somehow managed to get there we got hot for a week and a half after being terrible for most of September but last year it, w- it was an uncomfortable year and then this year has fallen well short of expectations I'm guessing they're probably going to be under 500 uh, which none of us picked by the way we all had them um, you know, above 500. Three of us had them missing the playoffs, but still with winning records. I just, I don't know. Because if we're, if we're in last place or outside of the playoffs next July, that has to be somewhat of an indictment on Cora as well by that point. You know, with four out of his, well, actually, he didn't manage in 2020. So three out of his four seasons being pretty lackluster. I think ownership by that point would possibly be comfortable moving on from him. But, but I don't know. Could they both go next next season? Could that be what happens? I don't know. Well, let me ask you this: If you had the opportunity to fire Bloom this year would you do it me personally no i would not as as much as i can't stand the guy um it's just too short of a sample size gms i think should have a little bit longer of a leash than managers in baseball so i would at least give bloom another year maybe even two um, but it, I, I would keep him. I would not fire him, but he, he would have to really show me, especially in the off season with what he does with expiring contracts and whatnot. He would really have to show me that, okay, you understand what it means to be a GM here in Boston because otherwise, yeah, he wouldn't survive very long. Yeah. To Jason's point, I think firing him now would be too easy. And it really wouldn't set up the next GM for uh, a fair setup because you're inheriting somebody else's mess. At least this way, if if Heim wants to go down, he's going to be going down with his ship. This is going to be like trying to steer a boat with no wheel. It, it's going to be very difficult. But to Jason's point, I don't think that he's going to be gone by the end of 23. I think it's a possibility. But I don't think it's going to be a guarantee. And I think, to, again, to Jason's point, two years makes more sense because this, in theory, gives him the opportunity to let go of Alex Cora, bring in another manager, 
and 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 do something else. Me personally, I think if he doesn't win a World Series next year, it's going to be maybe not him getting fired, but he'll be told you got one year left to get it done or you're done. Um, we're st- I'm, I'm very curious to know who Haim Bloom would want to have as the manager because the more and more you kind of wait and see how the season goes on, it, it, it's very obvious that Alex Cora was not the the top decision uh, as far as who Haim Bloom wanted. It was just a a stopgap manager we had briefly, and Cora was going to be coming back after his uh, after his suspension. So, um, I I don't think Bloom's anywhere just yet. We're going to have plenty of content. Plenty of things to say about him for another year. Terry, you want to say something else? Well, if you were the owner, though, you wouldn't do it. If it was your call, you wouldn't fire him. If I was the owner, I would have... Uh, here, here's the thing. During the offseason, you didn't do anything. You, you picked up pieces off the trash. You picked up James Paxton... We got Michael Waka, who I thought was also going to be a bust, and and Waka far exceeded anyone's expectations to the tune of a nine and one record this year. Um, you did a great job by re-signing Garrett Whitlock. You signed Trevor Story. You did nothing else. But what else did you do during the the, the trade deadline? You were able to pick up some decent prospects and get rid of you know ship a catcher that's loved in Boston out to a formidable opponent where he's going to probably end up re-signing anyways. So you basically ripped two solid prospects for a short-term rental loss of one of your marquee players. Is it possible that Vasquez doesn't come back? Sure. Is it possible that he does? Is it highly possible? Yes. So I think that with or without Haim Bloom, there are a certain core group of players that do want to stick together. I don't think Heim Bloom is making all the decisions. He's not like your prototypical president of baseball operations GM. He did not get to pick his manager yet. If I had to fire him, I think selfishly, I probably would have said yes, because I'm not a fan. I don't, I don't like what he's done. I found what he has said to be very disingenuine uh, or disingenuous. Not sure which word I'm supposed to use there. Uh, I, I don't think that he's been fair or honest to fans. This was not uh, a solid competitive team this year. But with somebody that is not spending money, there is a degree and an element of, I want to see what happens. And I don't think many managers or excuse me, GMs could do this. And I don't think many GMs could do it worse to some degree as well, because some of these trades that we've made have not worked out. And there have been some signings that have with every, every president of baseball operations. But Terry, I, I, you know, you posted something on the podcast page where he's ruined so much. He, he still can't resign Rafael Devers. How can you not resign Rafael Devers? If there's any point to bolster or solidify why he should be gone, that's it right there. You can't even get your best player to commit to their team. What are you doing and what are your priorities? Yeah, you know, I've been a critic as well. And 
I'm at the point now where if I was the owner, I, I would give him one more year because I'm, I, I would say you got plenty of flexibility this year. All these expiring contracts are going to free you up a lot of money. Let's see what you can do. And if he still fields a mediocre team, I'm going to be calling for it next year. Uh, I, you know, by June or July, I'll be calling, you know, for his firing for sure at that point. I mean, this would be basically if this was July of 2023 and we're three or four games under 500, this is one of the worst runs since the 1990s. If you go as far back as 2018. So that's what I'll see. Now, if, if say if Cora gets fired, does that mean more calls are going to be coming down from the front office analytically and that the manager is going to have less say? Because if that's the case, that puts even more pressure on Bloom. Like, why would he want that pressure? He, at a minimum, he should want a manager that, you know, an experienced manager to come in and share part of that burden. Because if it's Sam Fold, everything's coming down from upstairs. And I think, I think the likelihood Bloom gets fired uh, is much greater if that, if that blows up in his face. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Sam fold because th- this whole time I'm like, that's who, that's who high and bloom wants. Yeah. He didn't want Alex Cora. He wants Sam fold, you know, former Tampa Bay Ray player, analytical nerd, nerd with a binder. As I like to say, just, and you're right. <laughs> all, all the calls would come from upstairs. It would come from Haim, and Sam fold would just, do what Haim says and do what the spreadsheet says. So, yeah, I, I think that's who we want. So, Boston, you better hope that Alex Cora doesn't get fired anytime soon because otherwise, the as they call him in Tampa, the legend of Sam Fold is going to be your new Boston Red Sox manager under Haim Bloom. And whew, good luck <coughs> with that. Excuse me. You made me choke on my drink. All right. Who's up? I believe it's actually me again. Um, I think we've gone all the way around. So uh, my second hot take comes from at Hank G nineteen sixty seven, and he tweets out. He starts out with a couple of questions. He goes, "Are we spoiled in Boston? Are our expectations too high? Do we hold players who play here to an unfair standard?" And he follows it up by saying, "This is why athletes love and hate to play here." Um, I actually think that sums up Boston pretty well. First of all, the answer to all three of those questions is yes. Um, we are spoiled. Uh, our expectations are very high. And we do hold players here to maybe an unfair standard. I would just say we hold them to a high standard. I'm not sure it's unfair. If you're getting paid millions of dollars, we expect you, know, we expect you to do your job and play really well. Um, that's what makes Boston a great sports city. But, yeah, I think that's why some guys can really cut it here and some guys can't. Um, I think that's why, you know, a guy like Chris Sale, for example, I mean, look, injuries aside and all that, I think that he can cut it here because he's a competitor. He wants to go out there and win. I think a guy like, you know, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, I think they can cut it here. 
I think there's a reason why Mookie Betts decided to sign in LA and not here. Love Mookie, but you know, let's face it, they don't really care about baseball in LA. They don't. Sorry, Dodgers fans. You can try and convince me all you want, but you're not a real sports city. So I think that's why he's enjoying his time out there. There's a reason why, you know, other teams, guys like Manny Machado, sign in San Diego because they don't care in San Diego. San Diego misses the playoffs. Oh, let's just go to the beach. You know, Manny Machado loves not having that pressure. Um, and there's a flip side of that. There's, you know, guys like Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper went from Washington, which is a pretty small market, and decided, you know what, I'm going to go play in Philly, where if we fail, they might throw batteries at me on the street. But, you know, he took on that challenge. Will Bryce Harper ever win a World Series in Philly? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But he took on that challenge. So, yeah, it depends on the individual. As far as here in Boston, we've seen plenty of guys fail here. David Price, I don't want to hear, well, he helped you win a World Series. He couldn't cut it here in Boston. He could not cut it. The fight with Eckersley, the constant, you know, missing time going on the IL because he was playing too much Fortnite. Like, that guy couldn't cut it here. Carl Crawford, who was great in Tampa where there was no pressure at all. And then he came to Boston. He was as useless as a nun with a pair of tits. I mean, he was just terrible here. Like, he couldn't cut it here either. Pablo Sandoval. Pablo Sandoval in San Francisco. Like, again, another market. Good baseball market, but, you know, not the most rabid fan base. He was great there. Comes to Boston. Can't cut it. So I, I think everything about that take is legit. Yes, our standards are really high here. Yes, we – you know, we're a pretty intense fan base. And I think that's why some guys can cut it here. Some guys can't. So, but I think you have to hold on to the ones that can. And I look at some of these guys, Devers, Bogarts, I think they can handle it. So hang on to them. Other guys, Price, Crawford, Sandoval, they were never worth our time. Epic non-reference there. Jason, um, I'm just going to say this. As far as us being spoiled, this has been a brutal season to be podcasters. There just hasn't been a lot of joy in this Red Sox team. But could you imagine if we were Kansas City Royals podcasters? <laughs> How much fun would that be? Like, what do they have to get excited, excited about year in and year out or any of those fan bases on a long drought right now? Even Seattle. Like, is that is that a fun podcast? What would it be? So we're fortunate that we cover a team that's typically perennially a playoff contender. And I think uh, if we're not spoiled, I, I think at a minimum, we take a lot for granted. So I'll say that. Yeah, that typically, I'm going to agree with you there. Um, interesting reference used, Jason. But, you know, when you got that hair, you can get away with anything, right? Um, I think it's not just a Boston thing. I think this happens to be something for a lot of the markets or a lot of the teams for major sports in major cities that have a lot, we, we do get spoiled. And I think sometimes it can get to our heads. Um, 
collectively, do you think that Boston Red Sox fans are spoiled right now? Question asked to both of you. Do you think we're spoiled right now? See, I don't think so. I don't think we're totally spoiled. No, I don't think we are anymore. No, yeah, I think we're not that, relevant. Yeah, and I think Red Sox fans have been through the peaks and valleys enough that right. we've been in last place plenty of times. We've seen this team just be the absolute laughing stock of the league. That like, yes, the World Series years were great and. The ALCS years were great, but we know what it means to be at the bottom as well. So I don't think we're completely spoiled. Terry? All right. My next hot take comes from Andrew DeSanti. And he says uh, that the umpires behind home plate, there's too many blown calls. And when that happens in a game, switch the umpire. There are four of them. It shouldn't be that much of a problem. So we've seen some bad umpiring, no doubt. Uh, there was just one the other night. I forget who it was. But um, I guess the only problem with that is we've seen when umpires get hit with foul ball tips and they leave the game with concussion like symptoms. It takes almost 20 minutes for an umpire to get into his gear that he needs to wear behind the plate, you know, the shoulder pads and probably a cup and all kinds of other, you know, padding and body armor type components. I just don't think that, um, they would ever go that route. And I don't think they would want to, you know, put an indictment on, <laughs> on certain umpires. Like, could you imagine Angel Hernandez, ha you know, having a, a terrible game and then the third base umpire, you know, coming over say, Angel, you're having, a, you're having a bad night. Let me, you know, take behind the plate. I just, while I, you know, can appreciate the idea, I just don't think it's realistic. And there there will be some baseball fans that are calling for the, um, the robotic strike zone, which I think is still a few years away. I'm a big human element guy. I like the drama that that creates. So I, I don't want to see those automated strike zones, but... But it's still a possible solution for anyone that doesn't like, uh, you know, the human element, element, you know, version that I like. Yeah, so there's a couple of issues with that. First of them being that uh, MLB umpires, much like NFL referees, I think any referee, uh, any referees in any sports, they have a union. Um, and the union's pretty strong. So trying to impose that on them, they're just going to flat out say, uh, nope, that's not happening. Um, and the example you brought up of like, yeah, if Angel Hand is having a bad game, like imagine if, you know, Cowboy Joe West was still umpiring and, and he's behind home plate and some poor schmuck who's, you know, the third base umpire has to walk down and try and tell Cowboy Joe that, hey, you're out of here. You got you to go to middle infield or whatever. Like, forget about it. It just... And like you said, the, the time in between switching umpires, like if you're the third, and I don't know much about umpiring, but if you're the third base umpire that day, you're not prepared 
to call balls and strikes. You're just not, you're, you're not expecting to do it. You're obviously on guard in case, like you said, if there's an injury, maybe you have to switch places, but you're not prepared for that. So it may even be worse if, you know, per your example, if Angel Hernandez is having a bad game behind the plate and they say, okay, Angel, get your ass out of here. And I don't know, is whoever the third base umpire is takes over and he's even worse because he wasn't prepared for it and he got thrown into that spot and, you know, just has trouble getting acclimated and, you know, it's even worse than all of a sudden the game's a complete clown show. So it's, it's an interesting idea. I know we all get frustrated with umpiring at times, but I think it's just the human element of it. Um, I've kind of gone back and forth on the robot umpire thing. I think ultimately I don't really want it because I don't like taking the human element out of it. Um, I love the idea at first, but the more I think about it, it's just not realistic and, and I don't love it. So, um, yeah, neat idea switching umpires in, you know, in the middle of the game if they're really struggling, but I think ultimately it's just never going to fly. So I think the, so as far as the, the robot umpire bit is concerned, I like the human element that Jason just mentioned, but umpires like Ron Culpa, Angel Hernandez, Joe West to some degree, they either make their profession look foolish by either making poor calls, taking things personally, trying to have and show a vendetta against certain teams and players, or just flat out not understanding that there's an element of fun to the game that when they're not playing and they're doing something else like signing autographs or chatting with fans or just on the on-deck circle, Joe West's infraction, Adrian Beltre was taking batting, just swinging the bat around, and and Joe West pointed and said, nope, you, you got to go over there. You can't swing over there. And he, he kind of lifts his hands up like, what what's the issue? Nope, you need to go swing your bat over there. So what does Adrian Beltre do? He goes and he brings the batting circle, Matt, all the way up to where he was standing, and Joe West goes, no, 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 no. And he just kind of flips the finger, you're out, you're gone. Are you serious? We're down by 20 runs. Like, Texas was losing by a boatload of runs. That was fun. He was just <laughs> doing that for fun. He wasn't doing that to be a big jerk. Anyone who knows Adrian Beltre knows he loves the game. He plays with a lot of passion. That That's really the hill that you want to die on, Joe West? A robot umpire wouldn't have done that. So that's strike. That's a strike against him. Angel Hernandez will always be remembered as the umpire that got not one, not two, not three, not four, five calls wrong in a game involving the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees, if I'm not mistaken. Five missed calls that were all overturned. And then Angel Hernandez was at first base and he said, oh, hopefully I get one of the next ones right. Really? Are you serious? So that's another strike against a robot umpire uh, or, or uh, a case for a robot umpire. The third one, you think and remember Ron Culpa, Red Sox-Yankees game against David Ortiz. And David Ortiz had two, not one, two bad pitches called, and one wasn't even close. One wasn't even close, and he rang up David Ortiz. David Ortiz lost it. He went absolutely ballistic and got ejected from that game. 
And you could tell just by staring, like the way that Ron Culpa said, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to put you in your place. But you could all, you could almost tell, like, at least from that one, it was a, I'm the captain now. This is my game and you will obey my rules. Almost like a, like a, like a, an adult figure to a child. And that's what I didn't like. A robot umpire wouldn't do that. So that's just the Boston Red Sox and former Red Sox players that I distinctly remember thinking, oh my God, this is crazy. Another one, I, I don't remember the name of the umpire. There was an issue with John Lester on the mound. And the umpire goes out and, and like almost charges the mound. And his his catcher is holding this guy back. It's just insanity. Do I think robot umpires will come into the game? I think they may, but it won't be the majors first. It'll be the minors just like everything else, like the phantom runner at second base in the 10th inning and beyond. Will people eventually call for it to be a thing? I don't think so, because I think people still do enjoy certain bits about baseball that are completely unique to that sport in relation to the other ones. Major League Baseball has no time limit. A game could last two hours. It could last five hours. It's not a definitive amount of time. It's not four quarters of 15 minutes. It's not 320s, 245s. We, we have no idea when this will end. So that's something that we've never changed. We haven't said, you know what? Baseball games have to be three hours. And if it lasts more than three hours, that's it. We're just not going to play. We haven't done that yet. But we're going to get a robot umpire first? I don't think so. They've been talking about pace of play issues for years. And still, we haven't figured that out yet. Robot umpires isn't going to fix anything. Don't disagree. So that's that. Um, I think that's going to be wrapping up with me next. So this one comes from Roger Lancaster at Roger Ramjet 21. Um, it's going to be a long time before the Boston Red Sox are seriously relevant again. Um, my heart says, I hope not. Uh, and with some of the prospects that we've got, I'm also thinking that might not be completely accurate. I think that within the next two to three years, major contracts are going to be off the books and a lot of our rookies are going to be in either their second, third year. I, I don't think that's so much to say that we're not going to be not relevant. I think that we're going to be slowly building back up by 2024, 2025. This team could be pretty nasty. Adding the right pieces, assuming that certain players have come up the chain and, and done all of the the work that they're supposed to do and we bring them up in a proper manner. I think this team could be great by in 2025. Yeah. I also disagree with that. I don't think it's going to be a long time. Uh, and keep in mind, the word relevant is very important in that tweet because um, to be an irrelevant franchise, you have to be like yeah, the Pittsburgh pirates or the Arizona Diamondbacks, or um, I don't know. The you know even the Texas Rangers are kind of getting to that point. The Red Sox will never be irrelevant because they've still got one of the largest fan bases in baseball. Um, they've got superstar players, at least for now, assuming they don't leave. 
Um, and all it takes is for the ownership to say, here's, here's the checkbook. We don't care about the luxury tax. Go spend money. Go, go build us a winning team. And hopefully you've got a GM who's willing to do that and who spends money. And, you know, what if, what if the Red Sox sign Aaron judge this off season? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. A lot of people might laugh at that, but if the Yankees don't pay him and he's a free agent, who's to say the Red Sox don't swoop in and say, here you go. Here's a mega deal. We're going to let Sander walk and we're going to spend mega money on judge endeavors. All of a sudden, boom, not only are you relevant, you're a favorite. You're a World Series favorite. So I disagree with with that logic that it's going to be a long time. The only way I would agree with or at least start to agree with that is if Bogarts walks, they trade Rafael Devers, they fire Alex Cora, and they just sort of go, we're not spending any money. We're going to go with the Tampa Bay North or the – Billy Bean method of, you know, trying to build a team by not spending any money. Then you start to become irrelevant, but I don't see it happening. I don't see ownership settling for that. And I still think that, and again, it, I'm not saying that they will sign Aaron judge. I, you know, I'm not predicting that I would love it, <laughs> but I, I just, to be irrelevant, you've got to be truly just out of it. And I don't think the Red Sox will ever get to that point. So I think that they could very well just turn it around this offseason and be right back in it next year. So I, I disagree. I don't think it's going to be a long time. I don't think it'll be a long time either. I mean, the theme of parts of tonight's episode and the uh, previous episode was that Bloom's seat is getting hotter and – if you're trying to read the tea leaves, you know, one Red Sox writer thinks Bloom or Cora could be fired at the end of this season. I just think there's too much pressure to not be relevant. And I, I think ownership is demanding it. And uh, I think they're sick of losing too. So by hook or by crook, we'll be probably in the playoffs sooner than they think and i i'm i i don't think uh i i don't think we're looking at three or four years of rebuilding so sounds like we're pretty much aligned on that so uh unless there's anything else that you folks want to add i think we'll wrap on that right on excellent well uh terry jason want to thank you both for joining me for another episode of some hot takes that we are very thankful to receive from some of our dedicated loyal fans. And we want to thank you all for listening to us wherever it is. You do listen to your podcast, whether it be Spotify or Apple podcasts or anywhere that podcasts are available. We thank you. We appreciate you. And we look forward to interacting with you real soon. Everyone have a great night. Take care.